And welcome to Crown Conversations. This is part one of two, talking about all things trade deadline. And joining me today are the very funny, very hilarious James and Sarah. Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight on this lovely Monday trade deadline day that was completely bananas. No problem. Uh, Yo. (laughs) When are you going to let me do the theme song? There's a theme song? Robin, let <laughs> him do the theme song. <laughs> Go for it. Sing the theme song, James. Oh, it's trade deadline night. Trade deadline night. We got all your favorites ready to cover the fun. There's Pierre LeBron and Macaulay Culkin. Oh, uh. Look at that. That's Dolly Parton and Dr. Dre. Also Charo and another Charo. Is this like the the ESPN Plus coverage of it? Because I would freaking pay to see Dolly Parton cover anything. It was actually ESPN minus. That was beautiful, James. An I don't adventure. Know about beautiful, but it was something. The audience loved it. <laughs> uh, this episode's already fully derailed because I'm on it. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I love it. Stop apologizing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so today, I think. The Kings technically only made one move, sending Derek Forbert to the Calgary Flames, uh, and they retained 25% of his contract. So that was that. But the rest of the league was kind of bananas today. Like, I don't know what's happening, but all of a sudden, everybody decided to save all their trades for today. Sarah, your thoughts? I, I mean, A, Derek Forbert, like, whatever like i i feel like i have zero like my feelings about that trade are all like completely unhockey related <laughs> they're all just more like Derek forbert i find is a funny individual but um i i, I tweeted this earlier that like my last thought about Derek forbert as a los angeles king is when i was watching the game on Sunday night against the Oilers and I kept thinking why am I seeing so much of Derek Forbert like <laughs> and so like all respect to him as an NHLer who is a bajillion times more talented than me but I'll take that conditional pick to send off a guy who we weren't going to um re-sign all the other moves I was like I'm glad that all these other teams are just like eating <laughs> each other alive like I, I don't even care like Rob Blake did what we thought he was going to do, which was not a whole lot, and it's over now, and now we just have to, like, endure until um, the season is over and we can make it go away. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's been a painful season, uh, don't you think, James? I don't even know who's left on the roster, to be honest. I'm like, random guy, random guy, weren't you in the AHL? I don't know who you are, but okay. (laughs) <laughs> uh well i feel really good because i think at the quarter mark we had like our like little round table article 
and it was who are the players who'll get traded or who won't be on the roster come March, and I said Toffoli and Forbert. So I feel so smart right now, you guys, and uh, I need your validation. Please give it to me. Tell me I'm smart. Tell me I'm good. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So smart, James. You, you oh. win so a prize. Smart. The prize is being on this podcast. <laughs> oh, perfect. Uh, that's I think that's punishment, Sarah. Yeah. Don't tell him. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, John Rosen was tweeting today about it seems like they're going to give another defenseman from the AHL a look, and he's kind of hinting that he maybe he's hinting at it or he believes or has insider information as the LA Kings insider. That's going to be Mikey Anderson. Huh. Uh, he did mention, you know, Tobias Bjornfoot and Kale Clegg uh, should also see some games in the NHL before the season ends. I, I mean, it, I don't think Joachim Ryan draws into too many more games for the rest of the year. I think Ben Hutton eats some tough minutes. And in terms of the Fords, well, cool. Like, let's let's play musical chairs a bit. Let's see who does something cool when lined up with someone else and take that into the summer. And I think it is, like, especially with Hutton, I felt like he was a guy who, like, could have gotten moved, maybe didn't get moved. Like, I, I wouldn't have been surprised either way, like, with whatever happened with him. And, if you know, since they obviously didn't deal him, and from Rob Blake's comments during his, like, press availability thing, like, it seems like they're leaving the door open to bring him back next year. So, yeah, if he's going to – if they want to find out what they've actually got in Ben Hutton and see if he's someone who – you know, I, I don't think he should be on the top pairing for the rest of ever, but like, you know, see if he can be someone who can be on the no. you know third pairing or whatever. Like, here we go. He's going to go play like 20 some minutes a night for the stretch now to see to see what he's got. And kind of same with the kids. Like if they bring up Mikey Anderson or Kale Clegg or whatever, like I, I feel like now is kind of when they have to start figuring out, you know, which of all of these many, many prospects they've amassed are actually going to amount to anything. So we know this season is, is a waste. We know that it's not going to be uh, – we're not going anywhere, and the defense truly is now Drew Doughty and a bunch of dudes. <laughs> so, like, yeah, start start bringing them up, giving them a game, and see what happens. And it's going to be painful, but they'll learn something about uh, some of these guys who – you know, we've seen a little bit of Kale Clegg, but Anderson hasn't been called up. Um, Bjornfoot, it's been a while since he's been up here. So we'll at least get to learn a little more about – what we've got and uh, help them kind of plan for, okay, next, you know, in the off season, do they need to get some, you know, 31 year old league minimum guy to just kind of fill, fill a, a hole on the defense for a while, like, I guess to plan better, but it, it is, was it what it is? Like there aren't, the, the Kings aren't dealing from a position of strength. So <laughs> uh, the, the good players they have, they don't want to get rid of uh, obviously like, so, you know, Oh well, <laughs> by by Derek Forbert. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually looking at natural stat trick right now, and the Kings' top players in Corsi percentage. And mind you, like natural stat trick does that weird thing where, like, it if you've played one game, they're going to like consider you a leader. But um, so like Tim Schaller is a Corsi monster, but um. Like, number two is Velarde, and then Toffoli. Uh, I'm going to pour one out for him. And then... Oh, my, my heart just broke all over again, James. Thanks a lot. I know. I'm sorry. But, like, four, five, and six on Corsi 4% for the Kings are Matt Roy, Ben Hutton, Sean Walker. Like, all of them better than 56%. That's not nothing. I mean, just going by eye test alone for me, uh, watching Ben Hutton this season, I mean, he was a camp signing, um, and I was like, oh, great, here we go. I didn't think he was going to be any good, but based on the eye test, I'm like, okay, he's not that bad. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, certainly I've, I've seen far worse, and it seems that 
being given this opportunity to play big minutes, as it were, while I'm not excited about it, I think we could do a lot worse. Like, and this is no offense to Curtis McDermott, but if if Curtis McDermott starts getting top four pairing minutes, then I think we're in deep trouble. And I think that they're going to try and catch Detroit in the standings. God, top pairing defenseman Curtis McDermott just like flashed before my no. eyes. And like, <laughs> oh, like, I will admit that like I, he has progressed a lot from when he first came up into the NHL and like as much as I've kind of ragged on him the past couple seasons like this year there have been many more moments where I'm like yeah that was fine then I've been like holy crap what were you doing like he seems to have kind of learned his strengths and learned his weaknesses and learned how to like play to both of those but I yeah he definitely should not be playing in a much more elevated role than he is now um but yeah I feel like Hutton like when I when we when we signed him at the beginning of the year I talked with some Vancouver people and they were basically like some games he's gonna look great and some games he's you're gonna be like why are you even here and I feel like that's kind of what his season has been like for the Kings where you know especially if you look at his fancy stats like his numbers are really good and every so often he'll have a really great game. Every so often he has a complete clunker. And then the rest of the games, he's just kind of a body. And that's sort of where the Kings are at right now is they just need those guys to keep being bodies, I guess, until uh, the children are ready. Yeah. And I, I know that McDermott has come a long way. He's actually cut down on his dumb penalties a lot, which is super fantastic. And, and that's really great to see. But if they're going to be competitive, which obviously they're not, I just I can't really see McDermott filling a role beyond a warm body in the press box. And again, I'm not discounting how far he's come over the course of this season. He's just, he's not that good. Like, honestly. I mean, he's found the knack this year. It- in the one three one through the neutral zone playing on that wing he's done a good job guys don't challenge him too often there uh, even last night against Edmonton I mean did you see anything that looked egregious from him um I kind of turned it off after the Kings went down 2-0 I was like I have better things to do with my time that <laughs> Well, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a terrible fan for admitting that, but honestly, I was like, oh, well, actually, I got really disheartened after the first goal against because I was like, oh, this is a mess. And then I was like, this just sets the tone for how the rest of the game is going to be a complete mess. And then I think they were being shut out for like, what was it, like the first 40 minutes or something? And I was like, oh, great. Mike Smith, shut out. Here we come. It came to a point, though, that I was I was rooting for no shutout at some point in this season. And then I was like, I guess I should have root for them to win. So I started rooting for them to win. And then, but as far as, you know, uh, McDermott goes, yes, I acknowledge that he has gotten a lot better. Um, I haven't seen anything too terrible from him. I think he's picking his spots a lot more cleanly as to when to step up, when to make that big hit and how to read the plays better at the at the blue line. But when I say I mean for them to be competitive, I just he's big, but beyond that, like I don't really see a whole lot for him if they're going to try and compete for the playoffs. But then again, I said this back in 2014 with Robin Regeer, and look, Robin Regeer, you know, he was he didn't sink the playoffs. Uh, I mean, he didn't sink the Kings playoff chances. So I'm probably wrong. If anything, he pulled him out of that scoring <laughs> drought in the January and February with that, <laughs> that weird wrist shot from the blue line that won it in overtime. Against the Blue Jackets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he broke like a nine-game gore, uh, scoring drought or something for the Kings. It was something insane. I just can't stop laughing about that. Yeah. There's definitely some like alternate universe, like alternate timeline out there where Curtis McDermott becomes 
a Los Angeles Kings playoff <laughs> hero. Like I don't like I don't know. He fills the like Scuderi role of like getting boarded by someone improbably larger than him or something. And like there, I'm envisioning this timeline where he or like he scores some big goal in like double overtime, like Curtis McDermott jazz hands. I don't know. I just I really want to like meditate on this like alternate timeline of Curtis McDermott playoff hero, like Los Angeles Kings folk legend because I could get really into that, I think. I... <laughs> Jazz fists. Jazz fists. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jazz fists. He's, uh, he's punching the air. I like it. Uh, I, You know what? That's weird, Sarah, but I could actually, I'm envisioning it now, just kind of playing the... Uh, the old Slava Voinov role where it's like, oh, well, he's actually okay. As I'm, I'm strictly talking about the hockey player, nothing else here, guys. Um, so I just mean that, you know, it's, it, he makes that one big play in overtime and you're like, okay. Didn't he do something like that earlier this year anyway? And everyone was like, huh, all right. He scored a really cool, or he, he like he's had a couple of like really cool like jumps up and joins the rush, or like really like w- like well, there was one game that I was I was at um, out in L.A. and it was one of the uh, times where I pulled the correct amount of strings and was able to get uh, credentials in the press box, and I was literally sitting there next to John Rosen, who I hope is not listening to this because I'm gonna out how excited he was about. Curtis McDervin just pulling this really sweet like toe drag move to get into the zone and like everyone was like what? (laughs) So like he has it in him every so often to like do something really neat and then the rest of the time he's just large but I mean that's you can't (laughs) teach size. True but like if he was out there trying to dangle everybody all the time we we know, like it, it, like it would be a heart attack. We would be screaming, like, "What the heck is he doing out on the ice?" Like, he's smart enough to pick his spots with it. I'm also envisioning that too, like Curtis McConnor David, like <laughs> hybrid. Oh my god, <laughs> Curtis McConnor. I just, I need it in my life. Oh my I need god. it. Actually, I think that one. I don't know how many goals he has this this season but i swear at one point this season he actually did dangle somebody and i just couldn't stop staring at my tv i'm like am i hallucinating did did curtis mcdermott really just dangle somebody i swear it happened i i swear it did by all accounts like he is a guy who has put in a ton of extra work you know because he was a healthy scratch for so much of the last two years when he was with the team and like had to bag skate it and get the one-on-one coaching with the, the nitpicking and stuff. And and it seems like really took it to heart and was open-minded and, and enthusiastic. Yeah, for sure. Um, one guy that speaking of dangles, one guy that we know can dangle, but for some reason, both the fan base and the org seem to have soured on in the last two years. Tyler Toffoli. He has three points in two games with the Vancouver Canucks. He scored. Of course. He scored uh, two goals yesterday, uh, Sunday, uh, with the Canucks. And he had a an assist in his first game suiting up for the Canucks. Not going to lie. It's super wrong and super weird to see him in blue-green. Um, but I mean, he's a mighty talented player and he's 27. So why is it that you guys think that everyone's going, oh, he never lived up to the hype. I'm like, he was in his six and a half seasons or seven and a half seasons with the Kings. He had three seasons where he didn't hit 20 goals and he was marked as a 20 goal player or projected as a 20 goal player. One was his rookie season coming up under Sutter. Uh, another one, he was injured. And then the other one was last year where absolutely nobody on the team was scoring. Actually, I'm kind of surprised if Anshay Kopitar hit 20 goals last year with the Kings. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, that year when he had the injuries, he had mono at one point. Um, I think that was also... I thought that was Pearson. I thought that was when Pearson broke his leg. 
They're kind of interchangeable. Oh, maybe. I don't know. It's it, they are. <laughs> yeah. But they're reunited, Sarah. Lucky Canucks. Uh, but I I think the fan base wanted that flashy score with Toffoli and everyone whoever scouted him would tell you that wasn't what he was. I mean, cause, you know, so long ago we remember that best AHL line ever with him and Tanner Pearson being centered by Lyndon Vay. And we were, there was so much hype because the Kings couldn't score and the rookie year with him and Pearson coming up in, in 13, 14 and oh, they're, they saved the offense because there was no offense. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like his skating was never good. It got to passable. He's a great back checker. Something he doesn't get enough credit for is, is his defensive play in my opinion. And he'll pick his, his spots to snipe every so often, but he, one of the things I think he's really great at is shooting to create an opportunity for someone else. And I don't know, like Todd McClellan didn't sour on to Foley. He wanted him extended, not traded. So really? Yeah. That, yeah. That's that. That was the report I saw on Twitter. I'll have to like go back and look at that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like every every interview basically where someone would ask McClellan about Toffoli and his feelings on him and how the stress of the trade deadline, like every 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 opportunity that McClellan had, he basically was like very subtly being like, I want him back. Um, and even when I was at the Winter Classic and, you know, McClellan talked about Toffoli, he had just the most amazing things to say about him, like how hard of a worker he is and how great he is, like, you know, how, how happy McClellan was to see him get that hat trick and to see the hard work pay off and all that stuff. Like, I think that he, everything that I have read and seen from, you know, reputable sources and, you know, seen with my own eyes seems to kind of indicate that he was doing his best to try to get to Foley to be able to stick around. But, um, you know, uh, unfortunately the coach's wishes don't always, uh, line up with the organizational needs, but, uh, yeah, I think McClellan like, and, you know, to Foley, you know, same thing where, when he was asked about McClellan, um, you know, he was honest about the fact that like, yeah, at the beginning of the year it was rough and I had a rough start and he sat me down and he sat me for a game and, you know, I, you know, took, you know, Toffoli took the lesson to heart too and bounced back and, you know, had a really strong season after that. And I think there was a lot of respect between the two of them. And yeah, I, I think that McClellan was probably not super pleased to see him go because he, especially once they put him up on the top line, like surprise, surprise, put him with Andre <laughs> Kopitar, like suddenly he's producing a whole lot. Like, I don't know why no one tried that like two years ago, but here we are. I was having the, this conversation with somebody the day before Toffoli got traded. We were like, eh, most of the scouts don't really want Toffoli based on the reports that we've seen on Twitter and, and everything. He's playing C or whatever. So I thought, ah, okay, he's going to stick around. And we were talking about um, Toffoli's production, and it's like uh, he – finally started scoring when he got put up next to Kopitar what a shock why did nobody try that ever before like I mean Jeff Carter was fine um and he can score with uh, on Jeff Carter's wing but Adrian Kempe is not a center and Michael Amadio just doesn't have the uh soft skills or the elite skills that Jeff Carter and Andre Kopitar have and that's not that's not a knock against um Amadio but you, he does need a good top six center in order to score. You can't just put him with a grinder and be like, why aren't you scoring? Like, I wonder why. <laughs> it's like Yari Curry. <laughs> like, oh, maybe if you put him on Gretzky's wing, he'll just tear it up. Surprise. <laughs> like, I think you could put me on, like, Gretzky's wing, and I would have, like, 
scored a goal or two, like, or at least knocked one in off of me. Like, you know, like you have to be like (laughs) incredibly cursed to not at least find some offense again with guys like that. Right. And, and that wasn't to compare to Foley to Yari Curry, who's one of the greatest oh, scorers of all time. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but uh, wow, I feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath me. I know. Well, now you know how all the Kings feel who had unrealistic expectations of Tyler to Foley. <laughs> and I, I really think that, like that, that the thing that I keep coming back to is that like 31 goal season or whatever that he had. And I feel like, unfortunately that season came at a time in his career where everyone was like, ah, yes, this is what we're going to get from him every year. But like that year, if you look at his shooting percentage, it was like four percentage points above his average. Like it was just not a thing that was repeatable. Like every other year he was in the like, nine ten like maybe low 11 percent shooting range and then that year he shot up to like 14 plus percent like no that what like that wasn't sustainable and I feel like people kind of got like got sidetracked by that and were like well what do you mean you can't do that every year well it, it was an anomaly it was a weird year like it was great it was very fun the cupcake the cupcake tracker that the one group of fans had that was, oh, amazing. that was amazing like but and you know I think that people like I feel like there there's a subset and like not just of Kings fans, but I see this in every fan base that I come across of people who are like, well, what do you mean every player isn't going to score me 40 goals a year? And like, like <laughs> that sounds great, but that like you, you need those guys to score. Like someone <laughs> scoring like 15 goals a year is still amazing. Like if you look statistically at like the average number of goals, someone scores per year someone did like a deep dive into this once and really kind of like blew my mind with like how few goals the average NHLer scores and it's just you have these like Pasternak McDavid Ovechkins like you know blinding everyone to the fact that like your normal guy plays like 10 minutes a night and chips in like six goals a year and that's great like so you know I think that people really kind of discount the importance of having someone who can chip in that that like 12 to 16 goals a year and get mm-hmm. it done and be on an affordable good contract and you know everyone wants all of their team to be you know f- they want 12 Austin Matthews's is and that's not that's not unfortunately how hockey works I mean I think Tabole was projected as a 20 to 25 goal scorer And I think in a system that's a little bit more open and perhaps a little bit more talented, he could very easily reach 25 goals. But the Kings system, even still under Blake and McClellan, um, it is a little bit still more defensive-minded, still a little bit take care of your own zone, try not to get scored Mm -hmm. on four times every night. Um, And that's not really effective for Toffoli's game in creating 20 goals. But also, the Kings are just a tiny bit cursed. <laughs> Since there, Shang Peng, who used to write for the Kings, he actually did this deep dive into the Kings' curse, um, their, their winter blues. From December through the end of February, they always, in their 50-year-plus history, they have managed to score the least amount than over than any other point in the season and it it starts in December and it ends in February and you know that's three months that's a lot of games that they're gonna play because that's the grind that's the thick of their season right there and that's a lot of games where the Kings are getting shut out six games in a row or whatever it was in 2014 or 2015 I can't remember anymore it still hurts but (laughs) I mean the point is you know, the the King's system, as much as Toffoli has adapted his game because this is where he grew up in a sense, I mean, it's just, it doesn't align that heavily with his skill set. That makes sense. It does. It does. Like, I mean, I, I have his stats up right now. Like, he had 18 goals with the Kings in 58 games. He has two goals in two games with Vancouver. Like, he's at 60 games on the year with 20 goals. Like, he 
scores a goal every third game this year. Not at all a bad, you know, pace. And yeah, like if only he wasn't so gosh darned responsible. Who knows what he'd be capable of? <laughs> That's, That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Uh, extrapolated over uh, 82 <laughs> games. That's 27 goals in a season. So, But the Kings are more of a score every fifth or sixth game type of team. So, And, and he's just too beautiful, too beautifully responsible. Well, I'll take that over score twice a game but win every fifth game like toronto ouch <laughs> you you mean you mean jack campbell and cal clifford haven't solved all their problems uh weirdly no and i i put a lot of uh of expectation on that kevin gravel uh recall that they had today poor kevin gravel i feel so he bad tried for so him. hard I, I do too. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I just, it always bothers me when like a writer from another market sees a tweet about Kevin Gravel and makes a bad rock pun or like gravel pun. <laughs> and I'm just like, Come. those are our rock puns. Those are our bad puns. We were here first. Not even that. It's. it's been done (laughs) you know think of a theme song for the guy talk about charo in it you know yes exactly put charo in that theme song twice that's my deal (laughs) (laughs) oh since you brought up the maple leafs who by the way did lose to a zamboni driver from the ahl Really? I hadn't heard about that. <laughs> Who works that for yet. them? Guys, did you know that the Leafs embarrass themselves? Listen, when that whole game happened, I was, so this weekend I went up to Wisconsin to watch Alex Tricot play in a couple of games. Brag. Yeah, I know. Humble brag there. Um, but so like, you know, I, I don't really care about anything else on Wisconsin other than Alex Tricot. So I really was only kind of paying attention when he was out on the ice. And then the rest of the shifts, I was just sort of scrolling through Twitter and started seeing what was unfolding at that Toronto game. And I was so mad that I could not just like watch it. What Like I, I didn't want to be like the jerk in the stands streaming. And I, I, I have been that jerk before, but I, I didn't want to do it there. <laughs> I was but. doing dishes listening to the Carolina broadcast of that game. And, uh, I mean, you guys can envy my lifestyle. Uh, it's totally natural. But um, <laughs> what was great was the Carolina broad- broadcast just being, like, so – they were just, like, so excited for it to be such a weird game. Like, they're just like, can you – can you even believe what's happening right now? This is awesome. And uh, as hockey fans all over the world outside of Toronto would say, yes, yes, this is awesome. I was just saying, it was so good. And if they change it, if like they change it just because Toronto is now like ticked off because this happened to them, if they change the emergency backup rule, I am going to be so sad that like Toronto will have now found a way to ruin this for everybody. Actually, It'll be the Carolina Hurricanes who have ruined it twice now. So before the Hurricanes, this was a couple years ago, but the the Carolina Hurricanes had to have an emergency backup goalie. There was nobody around. So they had um, Alves there. I think he's a, an equipment guy, and he's a he's a goalie who occasionally fills in at practice for them. Uh, so he came into the game, and for whatever reason, 
the the GMs and the owners to, or whoever they decided the league decided to change that rule so now that you have to have a true emergency backup goalie who is an amateur cannot or not necessarily amateur but who is not under contract with anybody else uh, cannot get out of their contract with anybody else to be an emergency backup goalie and um, they cannot be a team official like you are you like you they cannot be employed by the team which i think is like the dumbest rule ever but for some reason nobody wants to talk to me about luongo who actually like this whole thing started with luongo i think it was in florida when they had james reimer and roberto luongo both of them got hurt and so their goalie coach he put on the pads and he was like i guess i gotta be the e-bug now um Luongo is like, no, no, I'm hurt, but that's okay. I'll play through it. Yeah, well, because I remember a few years ago that the emergency goalie was always going to be Bill Ranford for the Kings. And uh, now it is someone who I went to high school with, uh, you know, brag, <laughs> Steve Jakeel. Ooh. I took microbiology with him. He was at a table with me, Greg Brown and Ray Warner. It's okay to be jealous Ugh, of Stop me, rubbing guys. it in. But... Friends with royalty. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Saugus High School. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. Like, it's a Zamboni driver, and he beat an NHL team. He was the goalie of record. And uh, I think the other point I would like to make is what did you guys think of the collision between Mrazek and Clifford? I didn't realize it was Clifford that hit him. Now I'm extra sad. I did not see the collision. I just turned it on after Twitter blew up and everybody was like, oh my God, oh my God. E-bug! 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 And everyone was, like, screaming on Twitter about an e-bug. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? So then I, I turned on the, the Carolina broadcast for John Forslund because he is the best. I mean, yes. Tracy is he's great. But, I mean, John Forslund is just the best outside of Bob Miller. Agreed. Um, I don't know. I watched it. It was like a 50-50 puck race to the puck headed towards the corner. And Mrazek came out to the circle to try to play it. Watching the replay, it doesn't even look like Clifford knew he was there and just hit him going full bore. You know, when Clifford gets that head of steam, look out. I I guess a penalty had to be called on the ice because it was such a violent collision. But I didn't like the penalty being called, if that makes any sense. And I feel like I've seen enough games from Peter Mrazek that, like, at least once a game, he does something completely bonkers. Like, you look up and you're like, why are you at the face-off <laughs> circle? Like, you know, not not to put the collision on him or to say that it was his fault, but he is also a super aggressive goalie sometimes. So I could definitely see um, a scenario where Clifford's not, you know, Clifford's just trying to play the puck. Mrazek's out trying to play the puck, too, and just, you know two large fast moving men just collide um so yeah like Mrazek does do some pretty crazy yeah like oh gosh it it would be super good um if he didn't get run over often by Kyle Clifford Cal Peterson and uh, Jonathan Quick, they both have bad habits of going on goalie adventures. And I'm like, ah, I can't. Oh, God. And and Cal Peterson does, like, exactly the same thing. Well, not exactly, but he does a lot of the same things that Quick does. And I'm just going, oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, goalie adventures. Why? And, like, their adventures are always, like, behind-the-net adventures where I'm like, you're going to get stuck, you're going to get stuck, you're going to get stuck, you're going to fall. Like, w- which, like, is still bad, but, like, not nearly as anxiety-provoking whenever, like, as when you look up and you see a goalie suddenly charging to play a puck that's, like, just crossed into the zone. I'm like, go back go back to where you came from. Like, please let someone else handle that. <laughs> 
That is, uh, <laughs> like, it stunk for everyone involved. Because then Clifford has to fight later on in the game because their goalie was injured. And that was towards the end of, a, of the second period, I think. And I don't know. Like, kind of to what you were joking about earlier, Sarah, like, it seems like Kyle Clifford's on a one-man mission to try to fix the Maple Leafs. And I I don't know who can fix them or how they can be fixed. He's trying. <laughs> like, he, he's going to fix it with, with grit. And... I would... Yeah. <laughs> He try- Well, I mean, that is the one thing that you can say about Clifford is that every game, every night, he gives 110%. He gives, he wears his heart, he's just a heart on his sleeve type of player. Like, you can see emotionally when things affect him and, and when he's, like, trying to kind of do that, okay, you know what, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to have a really great shift and everybody else is going to see and lead by, like, he leads by example and... And, and everybody else is going to, you know, do the same thing. And Drew Doughty kind of has a little bit of that same mentality where it's like, okay, I got to take everything on and do it by myself. Although Clifford's Absolutely. a little bit more, he's a little less wild in that sense of he has to do literally everything, play all positions all at once. Yeah, Clifford's going to try to fix it with like grit and heart and Campbell's going to try to fix it by just being like a giant humble care bear and I just I just want whatever those conditions are on that pick to be met I I don't care how they meet them like just just meet the meet the conditions please so we get a better pick that's all I care about really in regards to Toronto I want like Jack Campbell to be happy and they just re-signed Jake Muzzin so I want him to be happy and I want Cal Clifford to be happy I don't care at all about literally any other Maple Leafs (laughs) Yeah, that, that's pretty much how I feel. Uh, I just want Jake Muzzin to be happy and Kyle Clifford and Jack Campbell, and I want them all to do their very best except when they play Los Angeles. Everybody else, 80 games, go for it. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that's just that heavy sigh is all you can really say about everything with Toronto. Um, they're, they're the Oilers now. Oh, don't That's even. That's what I just realized. It, it's wow. so true that it hurts. They are, they're going to spoil all the talent. Oh my gosh. Toronto no, is the no, new cause... Edmonton. <laughs> but, but they also haven't had like, you know, five overall first picks. So they 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 did it a little differently than Edmonton. So they're the they're the Calgary Flames. They're not Edmonton. They're they're the Calgary Flames, where they get that really good top pick, and then they get a lot of young talent around it, and then just go <laughs> with all of that. How do they go? <laughs> I'm sorry, you cut out. What? How do they go? <laughs> um, Robin, please, no, I need to know this information to contribute to the conversation. Yeah, like, my, my cats distracted me. I totally missed that. Like, one of my cats just, like, no. walked across the room, and I had to pay attention to that. What do did they do? Again. You missed it too bad. My deaf dog was crying, and I was concerned for his well-being, and I missed that vital information. What What happened? Please, Robin, for the good of the podcast, <laughs> the good of Jewels of the Crown, the good of Tyler Toffoli. No. What happened? It's a big old raspberry. It's a big old fart noise. Insert your pick here. <laughs> it's not happening again. <laughs> they just, they, they squander their talents. Oh, Although I kind of feel like part of it is mental for the Leafs. Just because everybody's always dredging up the Leafs past and, and things that are ha- like, it doesn't matter the, the roster turnover. It doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter who the GM is. The media remembers the media brings it up. And it's like, we weren't even here for that, but the media was. So the media is going to ask them, 
you know, the Leafs have a history of blowing four to one leads, or you know, the the Leafs have a history of doing this, and it's like, that was five six years ago. I wasn't even here for that. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, by the way, Sarah, the conditions on the pick for Clifford is that the 2020 third round pick upgrades to a second round pick if either Kyle Clifford re-signs with Toronto or if the Leafs make the 2020 playoffs and Jack Campbell wins six regular season games. He's won two, so four more to go, but lately Anderson has been playing. I don't get it. Like, I feel like they're not playing Campbell just so they don't meet the conditions of the pick. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Well, he should be playing. It's not like Campbell was a whole lot better than Anderson, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they're like... He's been really bad. Both, they've both been bad. I mean, I think they both had sub-900 safe percentages. What Like, Jack Campbell was 888 coming in, and... I think Freddie Anderson was like 880. Yeah, but in the four games he's played for the Leafs, it's uh, a 2.4 goals against and a 919 save percentage. I love that Jack Campbell, after his first game, he was like, yeah, I wasn't really playing that well. I was a little too starstruck by all the Leafs. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jack. Oh. <laughs> were, were you guys... Um, to change the topic just a little bit here, but were you at all surprised by the Clipper trade? I mean, I was. I knew, I had a feeling Campbell would be traded. I didn't really think it was going to be to Toronto, but I was like, okay, whatever. But I was really surprised that they traded Clifford. I mean, he has been the heart and soul of this team for so long. Yeah. Um, it, it does hurt. A little bit um and i it, it was a little bit surprising because i thought okay like you know lewis has been injured this year maybe this is who they trade and they keep clifford around to like keep the young guys in line and show them the daryl sutter king's way but yeah i, I mean it made sense for him to go to Toronto they needed they needed someone on the bottom six who could be physical every single night because their most physical Ford had been Kasperi Kapanen that's not gonna cut it <laughs> but Kapanen is very talented yeah but yeah but I don't want him fighting like it, you know, <laughs> like he's true. not the guy who should be laying big hits. Like he's supposed to be scoring goals. Like if I were a Leafs fan and I saw him like trying to rough it up with someone, I would be like, oh, no, like you need your hands no. for other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's weird. And like I, I, you guys can stop me. I shared this story on Twitter. Uh, about being around the Kings after they won the cup that night. And like just Kyle Clifford being extra responsible for his family and like taking care of them and driving his, I think dad and brother home. And they had been partying hard and like his newborn and his wife and like putting them all into his pickup truck and driving them home the night he won the Stanley Cup is to me one of the coolest things about Kyle Clifford where it shows how th like how selfless he is as a person and i his hockey style reflects that he just seems like such a good like a good human and, you know, in, in hockey, I feel like that's somewhat increasingly rare to find guys who are just good people. And like, no, he didn't. We didn't need him to be a 40 goal scorer. We needed him to be Kyle Clifford. And like he he delivered on that. And, you know, I, I, if he stays in Toronto, I hope he gets a big contract and he gets to, you know, 
play in, you know, I feel like he, his quotes after he got traded, like, was just one of those, like, you know, delighted to wear the jersey of my childhood kind of thing. So, like, you can't, like, you can't be sad. Like, he just seems just seemed super pumped to be playing for his, like, you know, childhood team. And, you know, surprised they no. didn't dredge up pictures of him in, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs betting, like, John Tavares. Like, um, but, yeah, I feel like he's just such a good, like, pure dude. And, yeah, like, I, I just want him to be happy wherever he is. And that's, uh, I guess, not with us anymore. I was surprised at the trade mostly from a culture point because, and I don't know how much uh, of this culture stuff that Rob Blake is, is into after his predecessor. I mean, we all know that Dean Lombardi was like obsessed to, I don't know, maybe potentially unhealthy points of of team culture, team wide culture. You know, the locker room has to be a certain way. A guy's got really. To, <laughs> a guy's got to play to to quote Miracle on Ice. You got to play for the the name on the front, not the name on the back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I I Rob Blake publicly has not shown quite that same intensity for for locker room culture. So I was surprised that the Kings traded Kyle Clifford just because, like I said, he is he. He is and has been this team's heart and soul for just for so long, for 10 years now. I mean, I kind of I kind of figured it would come down between like they wouldn't keep both him and Lewis. And, you know, what's going to happen to Trevor Lewis after the season? Also, who knows? Because there were rumors that he was also going to get traded. And, you know, Rob Blake was a little evasive today uh, or Monday whenever he was asked about, you know, his plans for the future for those guys who are going to be unrestricted free agents, you know, so we could possibly look, be looking at a Trevor Lewis list Kings as well, but I kind of figured they'd keep one of them. Um, and I, I don't, I feel like you could have asked me on any given day, which one would have stayed and which would have been traded. And I would have been able to give you a different answer. Um, and I guess just Cal Clifford's who got the bigger deal and Trevor Lewis, uh, remains to be an unsung hero among other teams apparently <laughs> yeah i mean even when you think about rob blake's career when he got traded in 2001 to colorado that was a king's team that was trying to figure out their identity again you know i mean like that was a team with aki berg on defense you know that okay aaron miller was there but like all the guys from the glory years just if you know five six years earlier weren't really there except for luke and the whole idea of you know rebuilding the team yeah it didn't really happen because they they still had that great playoff series against detroit that year but um or was that later correct me if i'm wrong but i don't know i kind of i kind of get it well just like man it'd be awesome to keep them around for the culture for all the other big impacts they could have on the team off the ice but a hard decision has to be made at this point and also like if you can't count on guys like kopitar and brown to be your deliverers of culture like, then what are we even doing here? Like, <laughs> you know. And on that note, I think it's time to say goodbye for part one. Join us again for part two when we look to the future and talk about our sad feelings about Alec Martinez. See you then, friends. Bye.